We pray for those hearts there. We pray for him, pray for his safety. We pray that you uh, change hearts just like you changed Saul's heart here in the New Testament. We pray for today. Pray that we would just put things aside, that we would rest in you. I know we have a lot going on. We have a lot running through our mind. And we pray that we can come today and rest in your presence. Speak to us, O Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt. All right, you may be seated. If you'll hold your spot there in Acts 22, that's where we're going to spend our time today. We'll also jump around in a few other chapters. I want you to think about a few questions this morning as we begin. First, I want to ask you, what's, what's the best news that you could ever imagine receiving? Some are maybe thinking of those this morning. What, what is your if-only dream? Maybe for some of us in here, it's maybe been that dream of being a multimillionaire, buying the house of your dreams, dreams like that. Perhaps for some in here, it's, it would be that job you've always wanted. Maybe for some in our line of work, landing that, that contract or a certain job that we've always desired. Maybe for you this morning, it's that your spouse would suddenly become the person you hoped for them to be or become. For some of us, maybe as parents, it's that our child or children would turn out all right, that they would live responsible, maybe eventually get out of our house, I don't know, um, and marry a wonderful person. But what would that, that best news be this morning? And let me ask it maybe a, a, another way as well. What is your reason for getting up in the morning? Why'd you get up today? What moves, what motivates you through each day? What is that worthwhile thing that you're willing to give your time, your talents, and your energy to? And what is so significant that you would literally build your whole life around it? Big questions, important questions. Today, I, I want us to know, I want us to see this bestest of news, if I could say that. The best news one could ever receive. The very thing that, at the same time, you could build your life around. It has nothing to do with dreams, nothing to do with fantasies, but it's rooted in historical facts, which we'll see. It's rooted in present realities as well. It can change the harshest of human situations with life-changing hope. It's the only thing worth living for. It is real simply this morning, the cause of Christ. And this morning, I want us to look at Paul's words here and Christ's words as well, as Christ is going to speak to Paul in one of the texts we're going to look at. But the cause of Christ changed the Apostle Paul, as Matt read for us. The gospel of Christ was the best news that, that Paul could ever receive, as he speaks of often in the New Testament. And he built his whole life around it. It's what got him up in the morning. It's what he gave all his time, talents, and energy too. In fact, in Acts 23, verse 11, I want you to hear the words of Christ. We're gonna go back to this verse actually in a couple weeks as well, but I want you to look at it this morning and listen and hang on to just one little phrase. But listen to what Christ says to Paul. He says, take courage, Paul, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause, 
There it is. To my cause, the cause of Christ. There's no greater cause in the universe. As Paul has witnessed to the cause of Jesus at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome as also. And Paul will definitely get to do that. But I want you to see this morning that the cause of Christ is worth building your whole life around. As we talked about last week, yes, Lord, saying yes to the Lord, walking the ways of his truth, waiting eagerly for him, living for the passion and for the glory of Christ, that you and I this morning would say with our life, yes, I want to be about the cause of Christ. Every day, I want to put every ounce of energy I have toward that. And so today, what I want to do real simply is I want you to hear and, and, and think and reflect again on this best news that Paul received. It's the gospel. I want us to hear it again today. And then I want us to see how Paul, he, when he fixed himself on Christ, his hope was based on Jesus. It wasn't based on just information received. It wasn't just based on something he heard, but it was based on the person of Christ, what that means, and lastly, how Christ made him literally an instrument in his own hands. That Christ made Paul an instrument in the hands of himself. And that's who Paul was, an instrument in Jesus' hands. And so I want us to see that and then end with some really practical things to think about and how this impacts, not just this, this band uh, or this big grandiose idea, but how it impacts the million choices that you and I have in our lifetime. The choices that we have today, the choices we're going to have tomorrow, because it impacts every bit of it. And so do this with me. Hang on to Acts 22. We're going to look at that, and then we're going to move a little bit through Acts 24 and 26 as well. But look at Acts 22. Look at verse 3 that Matt read for us. Paul has been fixed on going to Jerusalem, no matter the cost. He's willing to be bound up. He's willing to even die. And now that time has come. He's in Jerusalem. He's been there for a week. He faces the opposition of the Jews. Paul was found in the temple. A mob gathered there. They dragged him out. They sought to kill him but they were soon stopped and then he gets the opportunity which would be the first of five times in in what we would call trials uh, to share and to speak of the hope that he has in Jesus Christ and how Christ has changed his life on this first trial he appears before the crowd of Jews that were gathered there in the northwest corner of the temple area And I want you to hear his story that he shares. It's familiar probably to many of us, but I pray that familiarity today doesn't close our ears. But instead, we would listen and to hear the great story that changed Paul's life forever. It's the best news. And so look at with me, if you would, let verse 1 through 5. Paul begins to tell us his story. It says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became quiet. And Paul said this, he said, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are today. And listen to what he says, I persecuted this way to death. This way is literally the way of Christ. It's speaking of Christianity. And what Paul says here is that was my life. I I pursued after Christianity to put it into it, to put it to death by binding and putting both men and women who claimed Christ as Savior into prisons. 
as also as the high priest, the council of this elders could testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. This is what Paul's life was like. We read about it in Acts chapter 9. And so here these many years later, these decades later, here's Paul standing before the Jews and he's telling them his story. And where does his story begin? It begins where all of our stories begin, right? With brokenness. Because what Paul is sharing with us today was the harsh reality of a broken life. We think about God and how he created the world, how he created man and woman from the beginning to live in harmony with him, to live in unity with him, to, to have a perfect relationship with him. And we see that in Genesis. We see it with Adam and Eve, that they had this perfect communion with God. Everything was perfect. The environment was perfect. There was no diseases. There was no weeds that, that grew in the garden, no thorns. Adam and Eve, they lived in this perfect union even together. There was no power struggle between the two, no guilt, no shame, no rebellion against authority at that time. There was understanding, there was communication, there was love that filled even their relationship. There was no struggle with identity, there was no struggle with anxiety, there was no struggle with depression, no struggle with addiction, no painful history to overcome, no fear of what might happen in days ahead. There was no wrong motives. There was no temptation to sin. There was this perfect, enjoyable union with God, with each other, as they were these resident managers to govern God's, uh, under God's authority to, to govern his creation that he had made. All was right and all was good day after day. Could you imagine that? But it didn't last long. We know that. Uh, Adam and Eve stepped outside of God's divine plan. They sinned, and it all came crashing down, everything, because of their act of rebellion. And now the story of humanity began with brokenness. Brokenness now replaced everything that was once perfect, holy, and good. Rather than submitting to God's perfect authority, they lived as their own God. Sin altered everything. From that time, sin, rebellion, and brokenness became the story of humanity. Paul Tripp, in his well-written book called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, he says this. He says, rebellion is that inborn tendency to give into the lies of autonomy, of self-sufficiency, of self-focus. It results in a habitual violation of God-given boundaries, and here's what autonomy says. It says, I have the right to do what I want to when I want to do it. Self-sufficiency says, I have everything I need in myself, so I don't need to depend on or submit to anyone. And self-focus says, I'm the center of my world. It says, it is right to live for myself and to do only what brings me happiness. These are the lies of the garden. They continue today, but we're not made for that. But yet, no doubt we struggle with it. We're designed, you and I, to follow God as our leader, as our master, to live for his honor, for his glory. Living outside this, his design will never work for anyone in this room. Yet we all struggle, tempted to do so. This rebel spirit affects us all, affects every area of our life, every choice of our life from the minute we arise to the minute we go down at night. We want control. We hate to be controlled. 
We want to make up the rules. We want to change them whenever things don't suit us and go our way. Essentially, we want to be God. We do. Rebellion and sin produce something. It's called foolishness. It buys into the idea that we know better. We know best. We weren't created for that, though. We were created to rely on God for wisdom, not to be our own source of wisdom. We were to be dependent on God's truth, to to apply them to our own lives. And as a result, because of foolishness, we can't do anything good. We can't be good because we're spiritually dead. And that is how Paul's story began. That's what Paul's sharing here. He's going against God. He's going against his plan. And that's how our story begins as well. It begins with brokenness. But here's the best news that you and I get to wake up to every morning if you know Christ, is this, is we don't have to stay in our brokenness. God meets us in our brokenness. God pursued us in our brokenness. In fact, look at verse six through 11. That's what God, or that's what Paul says about God. God came after me. He rescued me. He healed me. He forgave me. In verse six, it says, but it happened. Oh, it happened. And oh, what a memory of that day for Paul. It happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, and I said, who are you, Lord? And he said back to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me, Paul said, saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said back to me, get up, go on to Damascus. There you'll be told of that which has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is literally, as has been said for centuries now, the great hound of heaven. He pursues us. He comes after us. Is there anything that you read there where Paul was pursuing God and going after Christ? Not an ounce. Isn't that amazing? Oh yeah, Paul thought he was. He thought he was doing God's will and he was totally blinded to that. He was foolish. And so God comes after him, pursues him. In Romans chapter five, verse eight, what did Paul say? He knew this very well. That's why he said this. He says, God demonstrated to us. He has shown to us his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Can we just think about that for a second? While we were yet sinners. Can we reflect on our brokenness? Yet while we were giving God the finger. Can we go there? While we were a murderer and the chief of sinners like Paul was trying to kill and get rid of Christianity off the face of the earth, God's love met me. When I was the most unlovable, that's when God's love met us. You may be here this morning and and you don't know Christ personally. Maybe you stand where Paul does. Maybe you're trying to do everything you can right on your own dime and on your own deal and, and trying to work hard for God and trying to be the best person you can be. But maybe you don't know Christ personally this morning. And maybe you hear what you hear this morning, you think, well, hey, listen, you, 
you don't know how much I've done, or you don't even know what my not light, night was like last night. You don't even know how bad it's been. You don't know how unlovable. I'm not one who God's going to love. Well, I want you to hear today, you are. And God demonstrates his love toward us in pursuing us when we are the worst of worst. That's who he came for. That's who he died for. That's who Christ was sent for. It was for us who told God, no, get away. I don't want to have anything to do with you. God says, you know what? I'm coming after you. And that's what he did with Paul. Jesus is the great hound of heaven, and he comes after Paul. And Paul says, it changed my life. It changed my life. And look how it did. Look at verse 12. A certain man by the name of Ananias, devout by the standard of the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing near to me, and said this, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him, and here's what he said to me. The God of our fathers has appointed you, Paul, to know his will, to see the righteous one, who is Jesus, to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and what you have heard. Isn't that amazing to think here? That, that, that here God says through Ananias that you are gonna see, you're gonna hear from the righteous one and it has been appointed that you hear an utterance from his voice. Isn't that amazing to think about? God designed this day, God set apart this day for Paul to hear from Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us this, that faith comes from what? From hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. God appoints for you and I to sit under, even a day like this, under the word of God, to hear the word of God. It's by his appointment, it's by his design, so that we would come to faith. For some of us, it may be today, it may be that day where we say yes to the Lord for the first time. For others of us, maybe it's in here to increase our faith, to to grow our faith, to strengthen our faith by God's grace as we hear the word of God. But here on this day, it changed Paul's life forever. The word of Christ did. And listen to how he responds. Ananias says to him, why do you delay? Why wait? Don't wait any longer. And Paul says, he told me to get up. He told me to be baptized. He told me that my sins would be washed away. And by how? By calling on the name of Jesus Christ. That beautiful, wonderful, powerful name that takes us from our brokenness and turns us around and changes us forever. As we read back in Acts 9 verse 18, as we have the episode of Paul's experience firsthand by Luke, or as Luke writes it for us, he tells us that Paul did this very thing. He got up and he was baptized. He called on the name of Christ. He believed in Christ and Christ rescued him and changed him forever, converted him. Richard Peace writes and talks about conversion. He says, in the end, this is what evangelism is all about. It's about conversion to Jesus. It is about discovering who Jesus really is, even as we discover who we really are. It is about deciding to stop living in destructive, unfilling ways, and instead turn around and start following Jesus as we pursue wholeness. Conversion is the word we use to describe the experience of turning around and following Jesus. And this is the cause of Christ this morning. It's what Paul was set apart for. It's what you and I were set apart for. It's the best news that we could ever hear, that we could ever receive. 
and we receive it by faith and it changes our life forever. Have you received that best news? Here's the deal today, it's not a dream. It's not some fantasy. It's not something far off. It's not something that's just for a small few in here this morning. I want you to hear today, it's for you. It's for you. God calls us to believe just like Paul did. But where did Paul's hope ultimately rest? It wasn't just in information. It wasn't just in here today, some, some mental, uh, mental exercise for him or something he just knew. It changed his life because his hope rests in a person. And it rests in the only one who could save him. It rested in the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I want you to look at me, if you would, uh, Acts 24. Turn just a page or two over. Listen to what Paul says. Uh, Paul will be led to the Jewish council in Jerusalem, then led to Caesarea, where he will stand before Felix, who's the governor of Caesarea, and listen to what he says to Felix on this day. He says, having hope in God which these men cherishly themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Paul's hope was in God. And God who would bring about resurrection for both, yes, the righteous and the wicked. The wicked will live forever too, but they will live separated in a place called hell. But the righteous, those who find Christ as Lord and Savior, just like Paul does, they will be raised to life, to be with him forever. And so that was Paul's hope, was his hope was in God. But let's look at this a little deeper. Look at Acts 26 and verse 22 and 23, another page or two over. Some two years later, Paul will stand on trial before Festus. Festus will be the governor after Felix. Felix will die. And so here, two years later, he stands before, uh, excuse me, he'll stand before Festus. Then he will stand before King Agrippa II. And so that's what we find in Acts 26. And he'll share again his story. But listen to what he says in verse 26 as he stands before King Agrippa. He says this. He says, so having obtained help from God, what kind of help? Obviously Christ. I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. And listen to what he says, that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. So who does Paul's hope rest in? In Christ, who suffered and died for him. You see, Paul's story was this, that he could not step out of sinfulness on his own. He couldn't do that. He could not have his brokenness removed, but only by Christ Mere love, mere encouragement, more information, more insight could not do it, even though those things are great. But he needed a rescue. He needed redemption. And nothing less could address what was really wrong with him. And that's what the cause of Christ is all about this morning. Jesus is that powerful. He's that present redeemer who conquers sin. He suffered for us and offered himself to transform us by life-changing grace. That's what Christ came to do, and that's where Paul's hope lied in, not in self, but in Christ, the person of Jesus. And lastly today, I want us to see also, as when Paul is set apart, he's set apart for a purpose. He's set apart, obviously, to know Christ, to have a relationship with him, to, to have his life change, but now, what is his every day to look like? What is those million choices supposed to look like each day. I'm gonna look at a few verses, if you could, with me. First, in Acts 9, verse 15 through 16. 
up on the screen for you as well. Listen to what Jesus does to Paul. When he sets him apart for salvation, he also sets him apart for mission. And he says this as well in Acts 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. This is Jesus speaking. Paul was to bear my name, he says, before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It's amazing to think that as Paul experiences this, that this comes forth. And we read about it in, verses, in chapters 22 on to 28, how, how Paul will be that instrument. He'll bear the name of Christ before the Gentiles and the Jews. He will suffer. And we see it right here. But who is Paul now? He is an instrument in the hands of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Acts 22, verse 15, it says that Paul, when he speaks of who he is now, he says that I am now a witness for Christ to all men of what he has seen and heard. That's what Paul's life is about now. He's a witness of Christ. And again, before King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 16, listen to what Paul says that Jesus told him on that day on the road to Damascus, lastly today. Jesus told me to get up, to stand on my feet for this purpose. Jesus says, I came to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. And here's what he says, rescuing you from the Jewish people, from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And so here's what Jesus is saying. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna care for you as you take this message that could get you killed. I'm gonna rescue you from those people. But listen to what's gonna happen to those people. Their eyes are gonna be open so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who've been sanctified by faith in me. That's what Paul's focus was as an instrument, to share this message that opens eyes, that takes people from darkness to light, that takes people from the dominion, literally, of Satan, which Paul knows very well he was trapped in, to now... Be servants of God and to be forgiven and to have a new inheritance, an eternal one. Paul was Christ's instrument wherever he went, whomever he was around. He lived for the cause of Christ. And every disciple in here today, you are Christ's instrument, called to live just as Paul was. Sure, it may look different, different fields, different circles that you run, but we're all called to live for the cause of Christ in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, on the sports fields, in the stands. As we've spoken on Acts since the beginning of last year, that's been our call, to truly be witnesses of Christ, to be his minister, to be his instrument. So as we begin this year, let me go back to a question we asked you later last, uh, late last year. Uh, who is that one? Who is that one that, that you're praying for? Sometimes we just need that, that reminder. But who is that one that we're praying for that maybe doesn't know Christ? Who is that one that you're building a relationship with, getting to know, so you may share the gospel with them? For Paul, it was whoever he came in contact with. It included even religious leaders. It included city leaders and kings, as we saw today with Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. It was before a Jewish council. 
fact, Paul said this to his dear brother Timothy in the ministry. He said in chapter two of Timothy one, he says, first of all then I urge you, dear brother, with that entreaties and prayers, petitions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings even, and all who are in authority, so that you may lead a tranquil, quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And he says, this is good, this is acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That was Paul's life. Wherever he went, whoever God brought him in front of, for the cause of Christ, he was God's instrument. I want to encourage you today to do a couple things as we close. First of all, I want, to, I want to encourage you to put something on your calendar. I mentioned it earlier during announcements, but January 18th, which is a Wednesday night from 7 to 8, we'll have our first prayer gathering of the year. I want to encourage you to be here. On the 20th, we'll inaugurate a, a new president. And that night, we want to pray together for our new president. We want to pray for our city leaders. We've invited some to be here to pray over them, to pray for our nation, to pray for our church as the year begins, that we would be a people that live for the cause of Christ in our cities, in our neighborhood. And then second and lastly today, I want you to think about this, this best news that we heard about today, this best news. First of all, have you received it? Have you accepted it? Have you trusted in Christ? A savior. If you haven't, as Ananias said to Paul, why delay? Why delay? Don't delay. And as you think about that best news that you've received as a believer today, you've trusted in Christ, you're here, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Commit afresh again, I pray for you, that that would be the thing, the cause of Christ would be the thing that causes you to get up in the morning that it would be the thing that you give your talents, your energy, and everything to. And so I want you to stop and think, just for a couple minutes, I want you to see this video clip. The future is a million little choices practice, or play video games. Two hours in the gym, or two hours at the movies. A little extra work, or a little extra play. Reconcile, or let the sun go down on your anger. Get up, or push the snooze button again. Take a potential client to the game, or take a kid from a broken home. Spend that bonus on yourself, or give it to a ministry that reaches out to pregnant teens. If we could get a picture of the future, if we could jump ahead 10, 15, 20 years, and see the accumulation of our decisions, the chain of events we set in motion, how differently would we live today? How would we choose to spend our time? What would we walk away from? How would we treat the people around us? 
What would we choose to pursue with passion? Where would we choose to invest our skills and our resources? Your future is a million little choices. And it starts today. That's the cause of Christ. It impacts every choice in our life. Today, I, I want you to reflect on that. Because it literally does. Every choice you have, from the snooze button, we all get that, from doing more work, from deciding to remain angry over reconciling, who knows what could change if we just said, Jesus, I say yes to you. I'm going to trust you. Paul's life, he got to look back on it before kings and governors as he would share. Probably some decades after that experience on the road to Damascus. And we get to see firsthand how his life was altered. Um, how will our life be altered? Because of the choices we make each day. I pray greatly that the cause of Christ would impact us. That it would be our worthwhile thing that we get up for every day. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the best news. That Christ came and met us in our brokenness. Christ came and met us when we were denying God and turned our life around. Father, we are grateful for that, for your grace that is amazing, awesome, your power that can take a life and literally cause it to walk one direction and now another. Father God, I, I pray today, if there's one in here that never trusted in Christ before, that today they would not delay. And I pray for believers in here today that we would be about the cause of Christ Every choice we make would line up with your cause. And we pray that in Christ's name, amen. As we do close today, we want to do this with the music of our kids in the background, right? <laughs> Just wanted to see if you were hearing that too. It's like, you know, sometimes up here I can see that. But I love it. I love it. I'll be honest with you. To me, it's, it's the sound of the next generation. It's the sound of the church. And uh, why not join us, right? So just, just think of it as we go through communion today as something that's just a part of us. There's just a wall up for some reason. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to hear what the song is so we can kind of sit. No, just kidding. Uh, sing. <laughs> On a serious note, though, um, as we think about the cause of Christ, today we come and remember with the elements of, of the body of Christ, which is the bread, and the blood of Christ represented by the cup. Uh, we come to remember together what Christ did uh, to save us so that we could be his instrument, that we could live for the greatest thing in the world, the glory of God. No greater thing. And so we want to come and remember that today. Here's how we're going to do this. I want you to come. If you're a believer in Christ, let's come and take the bread, take the cup, go back to your seats, pray, reflect a little bit, and then we're going to come and I'm going to lead us together um, and to take the elements together as a body. And uh, then after that, we're going to pray and then we're going to go out uh, and, and, and I pray 
that, that every choice we make be lived for the cause of Christ. And so let's, let's worship in that way as we, we close our time together today. Let's come.